Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Whether it's rising property taxes, a shortage of affordable housing units, or that weekly grocery bill, the cost of living is high on the list of concerns for Idahoans. So what can the legislature do to help, and is there an appetite to tackle those problems? I'm Melissa Davlin. Idaho Reports starts now. Hello and welcome to Idaho Reports. This week, Kelly Packer of the Association of Idaho Cities, Garden City Mayor John Evans and Greenleaf Mayor Bradley Holton join Logan Finney to discuss property taxes and the impact on city budgets. Then Idaho Housing and Finance Association CEO Gerald Hunter updates us on Idaho's housing shortage and if lawmakers are in a position to help. But first, on Friday, the Idaho Supreme Court released an opinion on the last challenge to the plans adopted by last year's redistricting commission. The court justices unanimously rejected the challenge, meaning the final hurdle is out of the way for the spring primary elections. We have much more online. You'll find that link at IdahoPTV.org slash Idaho Reports. The Idaho House had big fights over grocery tax this week with attempts to pull a grocery sales tax repeal bill out of committee for a full floor vote on Tuesday and another attempt on Thursday to amend a grocery tax credit bill to add the repeal. That bill would raise the annual grocery tax credit by $20 with critics saying that's not enough. We've all felt the pinch at the grocery store. Inflation's out of control. Inflation hurts families twice. They pay more for groceries. And because there's a grocery tax, we pay more for grocery taxes. Government is benefiting from this. Families are being hurt. If I uh, stood behind someone that rang up their weekly bill for their groceries, for their family, for $333, the tax on that is $20. With this bill, they would have to go and buy that weekly thing and every week they don't get a rebate on that $20 until their 100th visit. I don't think this is nothing, I'm voting no. Is something better than nothing? Um, I don't think that has to, whatever happens with this, this doesn't have to be the end of the discussion. It's February. We can keep having these discussions with regard to whatever it is that we want to do with grocery tax or with tax relief in general. And I hope that we do uh, um, have some legitimate conversations surrounding property tax relief. But the conversation before us right now is grocery tax. The House passed that grocery tax credit on Thursday. It now goes to the Senate. Another years-long source of contention at the Idaho legislature is the state's relationship with local government entities. That frustration bubbled to the surface last year with the passage of House Bill 389, a wide-ranging property tax bill that tightened the limits on how much property tax local governments can add to their annual budgets. On last week's show, Gooding County Assessor Justin Baldwin and Shoshone County Assessor Jerry White discussed the changes in that bill to the 
so-called Circuit Breaker program, which provides property tax relief for seniors and other eligible Idahoans. Those changes from the bill limit eligibility for the Circuit Breaker, and if it stays in place, would kick a lot of low-income Idahoans off the program. If you missed that conversation, you can find it on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Idaho Reports. The issue is on lawmakers' radar. On Friday morning, the House passed a bill to raise the circuit breaker threshold to $300,000, or 150% of a home's median of assessed value. That's up from the 125% that's in place right now. A proposal in the Senate would raise that to 200%. We'll continue to follow this story as those bills advance. But that isn't the only issue facing local governments. On Thursday, associate producer Logan Finney sat down with former representative and Association of Idaho City's executive director Kelly Packer and the association's legislative chair, Mayor John Ed Evans of Garden City and vice chair, Mayor Bradley Holton of Greenleaf. Kelly, you're the executive, executive director of the Association of Cities. What sort of conversations have you been having with lawmakers so far this session? Oh, wow. Um, we've had a lot of um, com different conversations, a wide variety. A lot of them have been around property taxes. Mm -hmm. um, after last year's House Bill 389, um, there have been discussions about how we fix some of the problems from that legislation, but also how do we still address the needs for property tax. But there's been a lot of other um, uh, bills proposed around cybersecurity, um, mask mandates, monument removals, etc. So we've actually been very, very busy already this session. And last week on the show, we had a pair of county assessors uh, to talk about the conversation about property taxes from a county level. You two are mayors of um, cities here in the Treasure Valley, one somewhat urban, one very rural. What sort of things are you seeing? We'll start with John. Well, we're seeing the challenges of growth, uh, how do we pay for it, uh, the demand for services is increasing. At the same time, there's a resistance to in increasing budgets uh, from legislators. So we're in a bit of a balancing act. Uh, it takes a certain amount of dollars to fund police and fire and parks and libraries. And I think the issue is how do we fund those things uh, and still create some relief to the property taxpayer. And that's really the challenge we're, we're dealing with in the fast growing areas. Mm -hmm. And Mayor Holton, what are you seeing in Greenleaf? Well, for the smaller cities, any kind of growth proportionally is, is giant. And so for the city of Greenleaf, we're looking at a, a poised subdivision to request annexation and so that will be one-third of the size of the city that exists. So if that was Boise, you would be talking about 85,000 or greater subdivision that's asking to come in. And so with the changes that the legislature has instituted, growth cannot pay its way. So the city will have to make very difficult decisions and that impacts growth. And for the city of Greenleaf, we have a water sewer system that we have paying back to the state, and that was all designed off of growth. And right now, they've shot us in the foot. So we're in a quandary. How do we pay for our loan and yet not be able to bring in new growth because it's not paying its way and the existing city residents would have to help supplement new growth? 
which is a bitter pill to swallow. That's a phrase we hear around the state house all the time is growth should pay for growth. Uh, so Mayor Evans, you mentioned um, police, fire, parks, libraries as kind of these bare bones services that cities provide. Mm -hmm. Is that really the majority of your budget? Because it seems like there's perhaps a misconception around the state house that cities and local governments are spending massive amounts on mon of money on projects that they don't really need to. Yeah, well, don't really need to is a relative term. And that's why we have local government. You've got local people that elect local leaders, and uh, they have an opportunity, uh, particularly in Idaho, where most of our cities are small, uh, everybody's a big fish in the pond. Uh, so you can, uh, you can rely on pretty much that uh, cities are providing what's being demanded of them uh, by their, their voters. So, uh, but it is the basics. There's 199 cities in Idaho. Uh, Garden City has a population of a little over 12,000, and we're the 21st largest city in the state. Uh, you know, two-thirds of our cities have a population of 1,000 or less. Uh, so it is. It's, it's kind of, uh, most of us are meat and potatoes, and, uh, you know, the dessert maybe is, is rare <laughs> in our budgets. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, Kelly, it, let me interject a little bit from a small city uh, where everybody knows everybody. Everyone within city limits knows where my house is and they know how to get a hold of me and what my habits are. And so it's the most accountable level of government, yet we have a legislature that keeps thinking that they know best, they know better than my residents. And um, when's the last time you heard a recall on a state legislator? But you can typically, year after year, there's a recall on a city councilman or a mayor because they're very transparent, they're very accountable, and we're where the rubber meets the road. If there is a form of government that, that has to answer on a daily basis to the people, we are it. That's right, in the yeah. grocery stores, oh, yes. uh, at yeah. events, everywhere. Yeah. You're everywhere. right, you, you govern right in the face of the mm -hmm. people that elected you, yep. you're right. Mm -hmm. And Kelly, your organization represents cities across Idaho from Bonners Ferry to Bear Lake. What sort of things are you hearing from um, outside of the Treasure Valley? The services don't change, regardless of the size. Everyone needs streets to drive on, right, to get to work, to make sure the economy continues to happen. They need sidewalks and, and crosswalks and safe ways for kids to get to school and to, to get to parks and so forth or other events. They, they need um, those parks that the kids are going to to be maintained and safe um, and, you know, well taken care of. And most importantly, they need the emergency services um, provided in the times that are needed, right? Nobody wants to have a firefighter come to their house, but if you need it, you want them to show up in a timely manner. Same with the police or, um, or, or the ambulance and EMTs, et cetera. And so those, as, as Mayor Evans said, those bare bones meat and potato needs don't change regardless of the size. Um, they're always there. Um, sometimes in your larger communities, you find additional asks from the citizens, like for green belts or golf courses or air airstrips, air municipal airports, etc. But um, the bare bones are the same across the across the board. The other thing, and and one of the reasons I believe that the association really exists, is when you talk about those small cities that don't have staff, they have one clerk. They have a maintenance guy, maybe a maintenance guy and a half, right? 
um, that are running the city because they're part-time mayor and part-time counselors all have full-time jobs doing something else and yet those services still need to exist and function in, a, in an efficient and effective way for the citizens those people need help um, that's limited resource, limited staff resource, and so we're there to help kind of extend that resource a little bit, but also to help with programming that meets other needs like suicide prevention and drug prevention and, and mm -hmm. literacy and other things that every community also needs that mayors and council members stay up at night trying really? to figure out how to address. Uh, an individual legislator is one of 105. Uh, in the cities represented here today, uh, you've got one mayor and four council members. And, and the nuts and bolts have to get dealt with at our level. And speaking of those 105 lawmakers, let's bring the conversation back to them. <laughs> uh, we referenced House Bill 389, which was the big property tax proposal from a year ago. Mm -hmm. um, we'll start with Kelly. What do you think that you, what would you say that the uh, legislature has done that's been harmful to cities' growth in recent years? Um, local governments are allowed to, were allowed prior to House Bill 389 to take 100% of new construction, 100% of annexation, 100% of urban renewal areas, as well as um, have an increase on their, their existing base mm -hmm. in order to meet the needs of services. And when you talk about new construction, annexation, and urban renewal areas, you're talking about areas that have either been newly introduced or improved, right? That are gonna be on now helping with the tax burden for the services needed to, to meet the, the residents' expectations in, in a, any given community. Well, when, with House Bill 389, they said now you can only have 90% of, of um, new construction and annexation and only 80% of urban renewal. So if you really want new growth to pay for itself, then why would you reduce it down to 90%? That means 10% of what came in can't be used to actually meet the needs of that new growth. Um, so that was one error that we felt um, was introduced and then passed by House Bill 389, and I think it, it hamstrings locals. The other piece was that 8% cap, um, because it's all relative, right? Um, Mayor Holton was just talking about the fact that in some communities, one home would put you over that 8% cap, <laughs> right? So, 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 so what for does Greenleaf, a community do? For Greenleaf this yeah. year, in realness, it's going to be three homes will exceed the 8% cap. The three homes that will finish during this calendar year that we know of has already exceeded the 8% and will go upside down. And so it's a bill, whether they intended it or not, is of defend the police, defund the fire. And it's real people in Caldwell and Napa, several fire positions and several police positions are not funded because of that bill this year. Other than property taxes, what other um, funding options are there available to cities that come from the state level? We share sales tax revenues at a, on a formulaic basis. Uh, we get, if you have um, a liquor store in town, there's a portion of the liquor revenues that are generated in your town that come back. Um, there, uh, some cities have franchise fees, uh, but property tax, you know, within 10% one, uh, one way or the other, property tax makes up about half of the general revenues that a city gets. So it's the, 
it's by and away, by and far and away the biggest piece of the pie. So, if the idea is to force efficiencies, uh, the downturn took care of that from 2012. <laughs> you know, uh, that four or five year sw uh, stretch there, uh, we're all pretty lean and mean now. So, um, you know, I think a lot of it's just. Uh, it's kind of hard to walk in somebody else's shoes sometimes, uh, and uh, legislators, I think, uh, are well-intended, uh, but uh, I think you don't know what you don't know. Uh, they're forced to make decisions uh, in a very short period of time, frankly, down there. Uh, 389 uh, went from a, uh, an RS uh, to the governor's desk in 48 hours, basically. So the reaction time, the time to get input, the time to properly vet, uh, it makes it hard. And of course, Kelly, jump no, in there. I was just gonna say, except having lived in those shoes, while I agree they usually only have about a three month period. I mean, they're not restricted. The Constitution just says they have to, they can't leave until the work is done, right? Mm -hmm. There's plenty of time. They're a legislator for a full two years. There's plenty of time to work in the interim with people. And quite often that's, when I was there, that's what we would do. People would bring issues to me and others that I served with, and if we could do it in a reasonable and thoughtful and effective way within that three-month period that mm -hmm. usually happens, great. Um, but there's nine other months in the year where we can work in the interim together with stakeholders to make sure we have a good bill and bring it back the following year. Um, while I know some of these are critical situations, the property tax crisis didn't happen overnight. Yeah. And there's, yeah. there were plenty of years that they could have been working with cities and counties and everybody all at, all at the same time to, to vet these ideas and work on, work on them to make sure that we had a thoughtful approach and a thoughtful solution overall. Right. Logan also asked the panel about the legislature's rapidly growing tax relief fund, which collects sales tax revenue that's paid on certain online purchases. Lawmakers have used that so-called Wayfair fund over the last two years for income tax relief, but local officials say it might actually be putting more pressure on property taxes. I've asked multiple legislators why they don't dissolve that Wayfair fund right, um, the tax relief fund, um, and allow those um, online sales tax revenues and out-of-state purchase revenues to come through the t formula, the, the sales tax formula. Um, if they were to do that, especially since it's the largest component of sales tax growth, revenue, revenue growth in the state currently, that would help reduce the reliance of locals on property tax. Big time. Um, um, that would increase the revenues in that one um, stream that we use to provide these services, mm -hmm. which means we wouldn't have to use as much of the other stream that seems to be in such a critical situation right now for homeowners. You can watch that full interview online on the Idaho Reports YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Idaho Reports. We also have an in-depth explainer of the tax relief fund and its origins on the Idaho Reports blog. Another issue facing communities across the state is a critical shortage of affordable housing units. And while Boise's skyrocketing housing costs have made national headlines, Idaho communities large and small are all feeling that same crunch. On Friday, Gerald Hunter, CEO of the Idaho Housing and Finance Association, joined me to discuss potential solutions and what the legislature could do to help.
Thank you so much for joining us today. I was just wondering, first of all, what you're seeing outside of the Treasure Valley when it comes to the housing situation? Well, you know, it's interesting that you would differentiate between the Treasure Valley and the rest of the state because in many ways, what we're seeing are the same kinds of things. So if you kind of take a look at uh, home price appreciation, which has just been going uh, gangbusters here in the Treasure Valley, uh, we're seeing the same sort of thing all across the state. Uh, Coeur d'Alene as a market has seen uh, similar kind of results, maybe not quite as aggressive as Boise, but very close to it. We've seen that same kind of house price appreciation taking place in Idaho Falls. Rents have exploded too. We've seen great uh, increases in uh, rental rates, and that's happening all across the state as well. So this, this issue of uh, challenges for housing and affordable housing is something that's really not unique to the Treasure Valley. It's, it's everywhere. The Treasure Valley is getting so much of the media coverage as, you know, I, I've seen similar stories out of Coeur d'Alene and Idaho Falls. What are you seeing in the smaller communities like Chalice or Plummer? Well, it's, it's a similar story. I mean, we have been talking with, uh, for example, uh, Riggins, uh, trying to, to look at what kind of housing needs that they have. They don't have a great need for a large number of housing, but the fact of the matter is, is they can't find uh, housing for workers to deal with the businesses that they have. And so it's become a real challenge. Uh, affordability is a real challenge for them. We see that sort of thing in other small rural markets, Grangeville up north, um, some of the, the uh, smaller communities around Twin Falls. I mean, the, the issue, you know, is pretty much the same. Uh, if you uh, jump into the resort communities, for example, you see some real struggling uh, with those communities. Lots of businesses, for example, are uh, limiting the hours that they're open or maybe the number of days that they're open. And the reason for that is because they don't have enough employees to, to service the customers. And the owners uh, and the business's only option is really to cut back on the hours of service that they have. Is there a fix that the legislature could provide? Well, I'm not sure in, in this market with the kind of uh, activity that's taking place, when you look at a 30% plus house price appreciation, 20% increases in rent over the past year, uh, I'm not sure that there's a fix to the problem per se, but I think there are some policy things that the state can uh, address. One of them that we're optimistic about is an initiative that uh, uh, Governor Little has uh, launched, which is to uh, use some of the federal recovery dollars that are available to the state, $50 million of that, to create some funding to help build uh, rental housing uh, projects around the state. Uh, one of the real challenges I think that we have is uh, developing and being able to build uh, units. It's really a supply problem. And so this is, this is uh, a resource then that is targeted right at the heart of the issue. And uh, we're optimistic that the uh, state legislature will uh, review that and approve it. That proposal is $50 million in funding uh, that would create an estimated 1,000 units statewide. Right. That is, that's a lot of units, but it's not enough to address the shortage that you're seeing. Oh, definitely not. Uh, I mean, uh, I think it was uh, the city of Boise, for example, and I don't, don't mean to come back to Boise per se, but I think they did a study that showed that they had something in the neighborhood of 20 plus thousand units that would be needed over the next five years. So that, that puts that thousand units of production in context, I think. 
Uh, having said that, uh, you know, we, we in our organization uh, developed and financed about uh, 1,800, a little over 1,800 affordable units in the last three years. So when you take that 1,000 units and compare it to that, this would be like a 50% uh, increase in the production of affordable units. And so I think it can have an impact. I think it's really needed. You've been with the Idaho Housing and Finance Association since the late 90s. In that time, have you seen a shift in attitudes toward housing and the issues that arise surrounding it? Sure, uh, it, it varies. Uh, housing is always an important issue, I think, to communities across the state. Uh, one of the things that, that has changed the dynamics today is the fact that there are many businesses that are struggling to find uh, housing for affordable housing for their workers. A hospital, for instance, that uh, is trying to, to hire a nurse, for instance, and the nurse can't really take the job because they can't find an affordable place to work uh, or affordable place to live. And so you've got that dynamic that has caused a lot of businesses to kind of step up and talk about the need for affordable housing. Um, the last time I think that we've seen that kind of activity going on in Idaho was back in the 2005, 6, 7 uh, time period when we had a really large housing boom going on, you know, just before the housing uh, recession. One of the unique situations about this year is Idaho has not only the surplus of state dollars, but also a lot of federal dollars that That's they right. could be leveraging. Does the legislature have an appetite to take advantage of that? Well, they do. This, this uh, uh, initiative that the governor has launched is really based on the idea that some of that uh, American Rescue Plan Act money, uh, ARPA as it's referred to, uh, is going to be the, the 50 million that's used for that. So there's a, that's the basic proposal is to try to get those dollars employed. Uh, I might also add that you know the state received that allocation, but many of Idaho's uh, local uh, governmental units, counties and cities received some of that same money. And so we're hopeful that we'll be able to get some of those jurisdictions to uh, devote and invest some of their ARPA money towards affordable housing too. We've talked a lot about funding. Is there anything from a policy perspective that you see could help the problem? Yeah, I, I do. I think that uh, uh, you know, housing uh, historically has been at different points in time important and less important, you know, to policymakers. But in this environment, with the kind of market that we're experiencing, I think that there's an opportunity to kind of take a look at housing in a more holistic way. We may have investments in transportation. We may have other types of economic development and, and infrastructure investments that are going on. How does housing relate to those and how can we sort of think about housing and housing opportunities as we develop these other kinds of uh, uh, community needs? Are lawmakers receptive to that though? Well, uh, you know, it's, it's an, interesting, uh, an interesting question. And uh, as I mentioned, uh, this whole issue of housing is one that goes up and down based upon markets and that sort of thing. I, I do think that the dynamics have changed a little bit here uh, with all of the uh, input that's been coming from businesses. You know, we heard in, in Governor Little's uh, State of the State address that everywhere he's gone and, and talked to people around the state, one of the key issues that has emerged is housing and affordable housing. So that is, that's becoming such a hot issue everywhere across the state that I think that the legislature is, is beginning to focus more 
on these kind of issues. Well, fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today. You bet. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for watching and make sure to check out this week's Idaho Reports podcast on a court decision out of Idaho County that overturns Governor Brad Little's commutation denial for Gerald Pizzuto Jr., who is on death row for the 1985 murders of Delbert and Berta Herndon. The judge agreed with Pizzuto's defense that the denial was unconstitutional. The state has now appealed that decision to the Idaho Supreme Court. Producers Ruth Brown and Logan Finney discuss. For updates throughout the week, make sure you're following Idaho Reports on Facebook and Twitter and subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You'll find all of those links at idahoptv.org slash Idaho Reports. We'll see you next week. Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.